Hi, this is Jerry Visco on Visco Disco, The Stupid Show. And it's on Radio Free Brooklyn. And it airs every Friday at midnight. And um, thank God it's Friday. TGIF. Thank Jerry it's Friday. Say thank Jerry it's Friday. TGIF. Because I'm going to make your night. You're going to laugh tonight. You're going to have fun. And after you listen to this show, go out and party and dance. Or dance at home by yourself if you want to. The other thing you can do is you can listen on your phone. You know, tune in. And then you press that little green button. And then you can listen to your phone even when you're out partying. So just keep that in mind, honey buns. Now I do want to start with one of my mixes. I created this mix myself. It's a mashup and it's very funny. I think you're going to like it. It's called um, um, Don't Fuck With The Classics and then The Wedding March because I won't fuck with you, you little stupid ass bitch. Ain't fucking with you, but I'm going to marry you. How's that, you motherfucker? Yeah, try it. I ain't fucking with you, you little stupid-ass bitch. Let's get married. Yeah, I don't know if I will. But anyway, I do want to say that tonight I'm going to play funny songs, funny friggin' songs. I want you to laugh. I want you to dance. You know, one of my favorite singers in the world is Alvin and the Chipmunks. Of course, he's busy. I couldn't get him on here. And then I'm also quite fond of yeah, Alvin and the Chipmunks and also some of the other um, non-human um, you know, singers. But there's going to be that. And then I have Dirty Farms here, who's not dirty. He's actually clean. He took a shower yesterday. And he's going to read something that he wrote because he is a writer and a rapper. And I'm going to read some shit that I wrote, too, because I am also I'm an actor and a writer. So stay tuned in, honey buns. I want you to laugh your heads off. Yeah, if you can, go have a couple of drinks, if you, unless you're like, um, you know, if you're an alcoholic and you're on some kind of, uh, you know, regimen, whatever, but have a couple of gin and tonics if you can. Join the Jerry party. I am going to be running for mayor next year, so keep it in mind. And I don't fuck with you, you little stupid ass bitch. Listen to the next music. You're going to laugh your friggin' head off. I don't fuck with you.
Don't give a fuck about you or anything that you do. You got many things on my mind, cause I get a deal on mine. Women in the mouth of time, chasing dollar signs, and you ain't on your ground. Why would find me up in the MGM casino in the deep? Fucking up Fetty, I could've put on property. From the bank of the murder bitch, my niggas put murder bitches. She chooses and lets her decision free my niggas in prison. On the phone, with a bitch who can't do shit for him. But wait, a nigga, tell her, tell her, got a black. And my dental, on him, in a rental, on my way, Sacramento, late night, Arsenio. I'm never sentimental, go hard or go home. This but is, you ain't dirty. But yeah. You have a dirty mouth though, right? Yeah. This is um the part of this graphic novel that I'm gonna put out soon, but this is just the text. Uh, it's called The Miracle of Birth. I've always thought of myself as a spiritual person. So when I got pregnant I knew I wanted to have an orgasmic birth. A friend from my yoga class had shown me a documentary about it a few years before, which opened my eyes to the possibility that birth could be something beautiful, sensual, and intimate, even pleasurable. My husband, Chad, was really supportive when I told him. He even seemed excited by the idea, which thrilled me. I hadn't had an orgasm in weeks because it had been so difficult to get Chad to have sex with me since I started gaining weight from the pregnancy, but that night we made love. He was very affectionate and kissed me a lot, which felt nice. The pregnancy had made me very emotional and I needed some loving. Once he was inside me, however, he started doing some things I was not entirely comfortable with. He rubbed my belly and whispered in my ear in a frighteningly unfamiliar voice, 
Tell me about how you're going to come all over our baby. This was not the Chad I knew and loved, and it worried me that he was fetishizing this beautiful spiritual birth I was about to have. What if he became sexually attracted to our child? I hate men. I hate how they sexualize and sully everything that is pure and spiritual. Cheryl from my yoga class tells me that male sexuality tends to be violent and profane because of the rigid chi and masculine energy within their root chakra. Women are more embodied, and she flows into our womb, grounding us. Sometimes when Chad is making love to me, I worry that he isn't even really a feminist. He sexualized my body while we were having sex, and it feels like he doesn't see me as human, even though I know he loves me. Sex should be something that is pure and spiritual, not something that is dirty and violent. I was always trying to convince Chad to meditate, but he would always refuse, claiming he was too busy with work. There's more to life than just material satisfaction, which was the reason I had quit my job to pursue a spiritual path. The next day I started discussing the idea of orgasmic birth with Mandala, my spiritual advisor, and he was impressed I knew what it was. Orgasmic birth can bring you to one of the highest, most exalted states of consciousness, my student. Too often in Western culture, birth is treated as something scary, something that must be painful, but in Tibet, birth is a time for mindfulness and contemplation an opportunity to increase mind-body awareness and bring your child into an environment of love and light. Mandala proceeded to give me a special reflexology massage with his mouth to prepare me for giving birth. As he sucked on each of my toes, I felt him sucking my stress away, and I could tell there was spiritual energy flowing because he began to moan. When he finished, I paid him his $600 consultation fee, we bowed to one another, and he recommended that I set up an appointment with Dr. Shylock Shekelstein, an OBGYN specializing in orgasmic birth. The next week, I went to see Dr. Shekelstein. Stepping into his office, I felt right at home. The sweet smell of white sage and Nag Shampa incense welcomed me as I sat down on a Zafu in his waiting room and skimmed through the latest copy of Meditation Monthly. There was even complimentary June tea. When Dr. Shekelstein was ready to see me, his secretary struck a gong and the, door, and the doctor entered the room through the beaded bamboo doorway curtains. Namaste. I followed him into his office. Despite his short stature, he had a profound aura. So you want to have an orgasmic birth, he said. I nodded respectfully. Well, let me explain to you a little bit about the science of how orgasmic birth works. The primary chemical which enables orgasmic birth is oxytocin, also known as the love hormone. Oxytocin is a neuromodulator, which is essential to pair bonding. It is released in our brain during orgasm and in childbirth and the moments just before or after childbirth. There is more oxytocin released than at any point during a woman's life. This is the connection between childbirth and orgasm. The oxytocin release should bring intense physical pleasure for both you and your baby and promote bonding between the two of you, kind of like when you orgasm with a partner. This peak of oxytocin release should also ensure safe delivery of the placenta and your baby and minimize the amount of blood you will lose during childbirth. Now the issue with traditional birth, the reason why most women do not orgasm during birth and complain of physical pain is that feelings of self-consciousness can stunt the release of oxytocin. When women give birth in a hospital, surrounded by doctors telling them what to do, they are often unable to relax and feel comfortable and therefore do not experience the peak of oxytocin. Hospitals will also sometimes give women artificial hormones and injections which stunt the release of their natural hormones. For this reason, if you want to have an orgasmic birth, 
I suggest you give birth at home, in the dark, perhaps in the bathtub, without too many people around you. Keep talking to a minimum, just relax and enjoy the natural birthing experience. Wow, that sounds amazing. Is there any way I can prep for it in the meantime, or will the orgasm just happen naturally? Well, since you asked, there is one exercise we can practice, but it's expensive and isn't covered by your insurance. That's quite alright, Dr. Shekelstein. My husband Chad has a very high-paying job, so money is no issue for me. That's wonderful. He rubbed his hands together. Well, then we should schedule you for a weekly session of birth stimulation. We can start today. He lit a candle and a stick of incense. What is birth stimulation? What is birth stimulation? Well, in addition to the cold environment of Western hospitals stunting the release of oxytocin, another source of pain during childbirth can be the vaginal stretching. A baby is much larger than anything most women have ever felt in their vagina, so for some women, birth, even natural birth, can cause discomfort and even tearing of the vaginal walls. I shuddered. For this reason, I like to practice birth simulation with my patients in order to prepare them for the vaginal dilation they will have to experience. Dr. Shekelstein reached into a cabinet and pulled out a baby doll. So what we are going to do now is a little practice of what's to come, so to speak. Lie down on your back and try to relax. Focus on counting your breaths. Each inhale and exhale until you get to 10, then start over. When thoughts arise, just acknowledge them, let them go, then continue to focus on your breathing. I did as he said. Through the corner of my eye, I saw him rubbing a clear liquid on the head of the doll. He shut off the lights so that he was only visible to me by the light of the flickering candle flame. I tried to suppress my curiosity and focus on my breathing. As I lay there, entering a deep meditative state, being fully present in that moment, I felt his warm, rough hands lip up, lift up my batik maxi skirt, rub my thighs, then remove my panties. I shut my eyes, trying to focus on my breath, as I felt a cold liquid poured on my vagina. Then a large object pushed into me. It was the doll's head. It hurt and I yelped in pain, but the doctor held me reassuringly. He poured some more cold liquid on my vagina and rubbed my clit, then slowly I felt myself stretch and the doll slip inside me. I began panting. I couldn't help myself, the stretching was so intense. Just relax and focus on your breathing, he whispered, fondling my breast. I tried my best, but I was so swept up in the intensity of the doll being inserted into me. He rubbed my clit, and then I felt the orgasm coming on. I started moaning and convulsing, then felt a warm liquid spray against my feet and ankles. He removed the doll from me, and I lay there in bliss and ecstasy, feeling the oxytocin pulse through my veins to all parts of my body. He left the room and instructed me to lay there and continue meditating. I fell into a deep spiritual relaxation. When Dr. Shekelstein returned, he turned the light on, and I sat up and opened my eyes. The warm liquid on my feet and Birkenstock sandals looked like a man's cum. Confused and on the verge of outrage, I asked, Did you cum on my feet? He blushed and stammered, Well, uh, since the oxytocin release in your brain during orgasm is fundamental to bonding, it is not uncommon for those around you to experience shared orgasm. Your oxytocin levels can get especially high during pregnancy, even to the level of telepathy. Wow, that's amazing. I definitely felt like I entered a powerful spiritual trance. Good. You are making great progress. Keep meditating and I will see you next week. Oh, and by the way, you should shave before our next session. Why? I asked. 
Feminism had always been very important to me, and I could not fathom the idea of allowing choices about my body to be dictated by some man. My body hair was a huge part of my feminist identity. The spiritual chi and oxytocin will flow better that way. I know it may be counterintuitive, but chi works in mysterious ways. I accepted and returned home to take a shower and shave my bush. The next week, I returned to Dr. Shekelstein's office, clean-shaven and excited to move further along on my spiritual journey of becoming a mother. This time, Dr. Shekelstein performed an ultrasound, and I learned I was having a boy. I had always wanted a son. I almost jumped in joy when he told me, but worried about hurting the baby. I phoned Chad immediately. Chad? Yeah, hey, is everything okay? Guess what? What? We're having a boy. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I could hear the excitement in his voice. We were both crying. I'll see you when I get home, baby. I'm so excited about this. Me too. I got off the phone and turned back to Dr. Shekelstein. Sorry about that. I just had to tell my husband. Can we prep more? I'm excited for my orgasm. I laughed, embarrassed. Yes, we will need to be prepping more. Did you shave? Yes. Good. Now another factor in discomfort during pregnancy can be anal dilation. During the second stage of labor, a woman's anus dilates, which can be painful and potentially impede on your orgasm. So today, we will be prepping for that as well. Try doing this breathing exercise. Lay on your stomach and cover your right nostril. Now breathe out through your left nostril and breathe in again. I did it, Get he said. Get some champagne. Now cover your left nostril and breathe out through your right nostril. I felt him lift up my skirt, take off my underwear, and rub a cold liquid on my asshole. Then I felt something slowly slide inside me. I cried out. It hurt. Focus on your breathing, he told me. I kept pressing my nostrils. He put his hands on my hips. Then it dawned on me. How were both of his hands on my hips? He must have been fucking me in the ass. How could this be an actual medical practice? Nevertheless, I trusted his judgment and believed in alternative medicine, so I continued to do my breathing exercises. Surprisingly, after a short time, as I relaxed, the pain subsided and it started to feel good. I felt myself having an orgasm again. It was so intense, I was still pressing my nostrils and doing the breathing exercise, but I was also screaming and could not help myself. I heard his breathing getting heavier and heavier, grabbing my tits and rubbing my shaved pussy. Finally, I felt him come in my ass and I had another orgasm. Dr. Shekelstein and I continued to have weekly sessions which included anal and vaginal insertions and a lot of orgasms. I felt myself arriving at a heightened state of consciousness. When I finally went into labor, I was wet with anticipation, ready to have the most intense orgasm and bonding experience I had ever had in my life. Despite what Dr. Shekelstein had recommended to me about not having a lot of people present during my orgasmic birth, I felt I had practiced enough to handle it and would in fact feel more comfortable having my friends and loved ones around me sharing the bonding experience. There was also a part of me that was proud of all the work I had put in with Dr. Shekelstein and wanted to show off to my friends how much progress I had made. At my first contraction, I invited Mandala, Dr. Shekelstein, and all my girlfriends from yoga class to come over. I lay in my warm bath, turned off the lights, lit some candles, and relaxed as Chad, Mandala, Dr. Shekelstein, and my yoga girlfriends all cramped into our bathroom, sitting on the toilet and the floor to share this beautiful spiritual experience with me. Mandala had brought a singing bowl and was playing it while we all sat in silence, meditating and relaxing, basking in the love and light and energy of the room. As I meditated, 
The contractions became more and more frequent, and my anticipation grew with each one. Finally, I felt my baby start to crown. My pussy got so wet, and he slid out of me slowly. The exercises I did with Dr. Shekelstein must have worked, because I did not experience any pain. Instead, I felt grounded and present in my body, bonding with my child. It was intense, but not uncomfortable. I pushed as hard as I could and shit myself. Slowly, I saw his feet come out of me, then his legs, then his torso, and finally the beginning of his head. I rubbed my clit furiously as his head was sliding out. I was close to orgasm, but not quite there yet, but his head was almost out. I grabbed his little legs and started fucking myself with his body, sliding him back in me and out of me again. This felt amazing, spiritually powerful, intensely pleasurable. I was gushing, cum, and finally, I had an orgasm. Dr. Shekelstein was right. This was the greatest orgasm I had ever experienced in my life. I fell into a deep, relaxed, pleasurable state and let my child slide out of me for the final time. When I opened my eyes a few minutes later, I looked at my loved ones, grinning in post-orgasmic bliss. But to my dismay, they were all staring at me with looks of horror. I looked down at the bathwater I was laying in, and it was red with blood. My dead child floated beside me. My husband was crying. My yoga friends were looking at me terrified, not knowing what to say or do. Mandala had begun to count prayer beads, apparently also very worried. Dr. Shekelstein spoke. I'm so sorry this happened. I've never seen something like this before. If you need a recommendation for a psychologist, let me know. Again, I'm really sorry. He stood up to leave and I could tell he was hiding an erection. Slowly, everyone awkwardly herded out of the room. Chad could not even look at me. Tears were rolling down his eyes. Mandala burned some white sage over me, said a prayer, then also left. I lay by myself in the bathtub, crying, so upset and ashamed with myself. Wiping snot from my nose, I put the baby back in me. That's it. Um, by the way, Dirty Farms, um, are you a girl or a boy? It depends. I know you wear dresses sometimes to work, but um, I think you're a boy, so you're, are you lying? It depends on the day. Are yes. you pregnant? Yeah, I'm pregnant. It's, what, how did you get, was it impregnated by uh, a doctor? No. An artificial insemination? My husband, Chad. Yeah. Don't lie. You little stupid-ass <laughs> bitch. Anyway, that was interesting. Um, if there's anybody out there listening and at the publisher, you should um, purchase that book because it could be interesting. Am I right? Yeah. And or you could publish it the... in a magazine, too. That's not the final version. That was a draft. A draft. Okay. Look, um, I got to play a a silly song, and I'm going to also do my own reading. So thanks a lot, Dirty Farms. You aren't really that dirty, but you have a dirty mouth, you know? Yeah. Am I right? Yes. So I'm going to play this song, which I think is very very reminiscent of Dirty Farms' story. It's called Walking Round in Women's Underwear by Bob Rivers, um, and it's a Christmas comedy song. But, see, Dirty Farms is walking around in women's underwear, and he's wearing a dress, for Christ's sake. So, walking around in women's underwear. Yeah.
ask for her permission. I'm wearing her clothes, her silk pantyhose, walking round in women's underwear. In the store, there's a teddy with little straps, like spaghetti. It holds me so tight, like handcuffs at night, walking round in women's underwear. In the office, there's a guy named Melvin. He pretends that I am Murphy Brown. He'll say, are you ready? We'll say, whoa, man. Let's wait until the wife is out of town. Later on, if you wanna, we can dress like Madonna. Put on some high shade and join the parade. Just something from the book that I'm working on, my memoir. It is rather absurd and ridiculous, and I hope you like it. This is Jerry Visco on Radio Free Brooklyn. Visco Disco, the stupid show. And I ain't stupid, and neither is Dirty Farms. We're both geniuses, but because we have sense of humor, we're calling it the stupid show because we don't need to be arrogant like some of you people out there listening. Anyway, if anybody wants to call in, let me know. I'd love to talk to you, and I'd love to have you on my show. If you're smart or you're stupid, it's okay. So this thing that I wrote, it's called Fag Hag. Calling someone a fag hag is both a pejorative and a term of endearment. But it was more prevalent in 1970 when I was 16 years old and living at home with my parents in Burlington, Massachusetts, a blue-collar town that was just coming to life as a middle-class bougie suburb. Thanks to becoming an exit off Route 128 in the late 1950s and the opening of the Burlington Mall in 1968, which was a big deal for what had been a quiet rural town. 52 stores all under one roof. Wowie zowie! During my time in junior high school, in the first two years of high school, I was immediately ridiculed, ostracized, and bullied as an outcast. I was able to find a school where I fit in called Cambridge Community High School, housed in the basement of the old Cambridge Baptist Church on Mass Ave in Harvard Square. They weren't kidding when they called it old, since it was built in 1867, and it was an alternative school modeled after the progressive British Summerhill School, where the philosophy was that children learn best with freedom from coercion, which generally means no grades and the independence of the student to direct their own education. In the late 1960s and 1970s, Cambridge was a hotbed of radical anti-war counterculture activities, exactly what I was looking for. The instant I turned 15, I convinced my parents to allow me to take the bus to Harvard Square so I could purchase the Village Voice, the East Village Eye, the Los Angeles Free Press, and the Mole, all far-left radical newspapers which tutored me in my political and cultural renaissance into a rebellious intellectual teenager who questioned everything around me. Of course, that's exactly how I am now. 
I might want to mention that Los Angeles Free Press was how I learned how to have an orgasm, which I didn't know on my own. It actually gave instructions. And this was prior to the Internet, if you understand. And, um, okay, the East Village Eye was such a cool paper, which is why I live in New York now, reading the Village Voice and East Village Eye, and also Interview Magazine, back in those days, not in these days. Anyway, um, this is part of my memoir called Fag Hag. It is rather humorous. And, of course, I know that some people find that term a bit, you know, upsetting, but I am a queer bitch. Anyway, uh, okay, now I'm going to play a fabulous song for you, No Panties on the Dance Floor. Although I see no reason not to have panties on the dance floor, really. And it's by somebody called Wax a Million. So if you have your panties, put them on the dance floor. Or you might get in trouble, so I don't know. So I'm going to play it now. Pull them panties off, pull them panties off on the dance floor. 
Okay, Jerry Visco, Radio Free Brooklyn, Visco Disco, The Stupid Show. I'm going to read another part of my memoir. This section is called How to Pay the Rent. Now, I will say one thing. When I, if I run for mayor or president, I am going to eliminate rent because rent is so boring and it sucks. I hate rent. But anyway, this is about how I had to pay the rent back when I was in my 20s because I moved to New York City. My parents didn't help me. I did everything on my own. And back in the old days in New York City, I had a two-bedroom, two-bath apartment for $450. Can you believe that? And I don't even have to pay anything else. But now rent is a little bit more expensive. Anyway... The ad said, Ursula, sexy college girl, your place or mine. Attractive, 36, 22, 36, 877 That was my phone number, but I don't know who has it now. So if you call it, just be prepared for, for disappointment. Escorts. It was accompanied by a black and white drawing of a long-faced girl with a dangling cube earring, the hint of campy 1960s. I brought my money for the ad which started out costing $40 and later $80 to Milky Way Productions, which was the headquarters for Screw Magazine at Midnight Blue, which was a mildly pornographic public access show back in the 1970s. Well, Screw Magazine is fabulous. It was uh, created and published by Al Goldstein. Ironically, I actually worked for him as his secretary for a year, and that was years later in the 1981, and I never told him that I was advertising in his newspaper because I figured it might influence how he treated me, so I never did tell him that. And years later, when I was in the graduate school of journalism at Columbia um, in 2004, I interviewed Al Goldstein, who was living out in um, Ozone Park. Unfortunately, he's dead now, and I do feel sorry for that, but anyway, I'm going to keep going. Not only wasn't there any internet back then, there weren't even answering machines. I lived in a residential hotel and received my personal calls in the house phone. Every night, I'd unplug the phone. Otherwise, there'd be men calling and hanging up all night long. If I left the phone plugged in, some guy would inevitably call, Hey, Ursula, I need a blowjob. Even if it was five in the morning. I usually slept until noon. Jimmy, my bisexual boyfriend who lived downstairs, used to call me midday in the house phone. By the way, he's dead now. You know why? He wasn't, didn't do safe sex, and he, um, he lied to me. He died from, what should I say, H, what, what's that called? <laughs> HIV? No, no, hepatitis C, hepatitis C. Anyway, Jimmy, my bisexual boyfriend who lived downstairs, used to call me midday on the house phone when I'd often be giving a blowjob or doing it doggy style. Without skipping a beat, I'd grab the handset, telling him breathlessly, I'm busy. Can I call you back later? Then I'd get back to the action. No apologies to the guy for the brief interruption. My life back then was boogie nights New York style. No palm trees, just dog shit, trash, and bums. During the 1970s and early 1980s, I was a high-priced call girl, porno film actress, and a fag hag. Bob, my roommate, made a feeble attempt to be a hustler, but wound up becoming my pimp because it was easier. Yeah, he was a lousy, lousy prostitute, I would say. You know, he was a Virgo, not to say that no that Virgos can't do it, but he took life too seriously. I'm a cancer. I was an excellent hooker. Too good, actually. Okay. It was 1974, and Gotham's worst financial crisis ever was in full force the year I blew into town. Life was grittier, rents were cheaper, though they seemed expensive at the time, and the hard-scrabble, graffiti-splattered urban landscape was exhilarating and made us feel like pioneers. 
Back in those days, you had to be brave and tough to live in New York. And everyone outside of the city wondered why we were there, including my family. I landed in New York from Boston to work in fashion and film, and although I intended to find work in those fields, I also needed to pay the bills right away. When the dollars came rolling in, I supported my gay pimp and his friends and blew it all on punked-out get-ups, glam makeup, and nights, nights out in clubs and expensive restaurants. I dyed my hair fuchsia. By the way, my hair's fuchsia now, again, just briefly. Um, and, but, and out at the mud club with the B-52s and partied at Studio 54, seated on the couch next to Andy Warhol, Truman Capote, and Liza Minnelli. I was dancing under the neon Coke spoon on New Year's Eve, 1979. And no, I wasn't a drunk druggie. I drank gin. And I still do drink gin. Three glasses a day, sometimes four. It's my beauty secret. And I've always hated drugs. And so if you're doing drugs, you're a dope. Ha ha. I'm not including pot because I hate pot, but some people, that's not so bad. But the other stuff sucks. Anyway, um, I just want to say... But it's TGIF. I want you guys to have fun. And, of course, if there are any publishers out there, buy my manuscript. And I am going to um, read you a little bit from the New York Times article that I was featured in last week in the Thursday style section by the fabulous Michael Musto. I was featured in the style section. So you can Google. It's under Geraldine Visco, the New York Times by Michael Musto. You might find it interesting. Anyway, babes, hold on a second. So get the New York Times or go online and Google Geraldine Visco, New York Times, and Michael Musto. It appeared July 21st in the paper. The headline on the paper version is Digging the Dancing Queen. By day, she works at Columbia University. By night, she's having the time of her life. And yes, it is midnight. I am a late, I'm a night owl. I'm an extrovert, said Geraldine Visco, wearing a bell-bottom bodysuit, gold chains, a pink cowboy hat, neon blue lipstick, and little stars painted on her face. One isn't likely to argue with her. By day, Miss Visco directs academic administration and finance for the classics department at Columbia University, where she cuts a flamboyant figure at the Ivy League institution. By the way, I have three degrees from Columbia, and I didn't come here so I could be an office worker for the rest of my life, which is why I'm going to leave the job soon and just perform acting and writing and cooking and yoga teaching, okay? Um, anyway, at night she dress, uh, dresses up in even frillier outfits as she stomps through nightclub parties with a high decibel glee. At 61, Miss Visco may be one of the city's oldest club kids. <clears throat> when I dress outrageously, people enjoy it, Miss Visco said on a recent Tuesday in her Upper East Side apartment, which is dotted with bags of clothes left behind by young gay men who boarded there. By the way, there's a couple of other young twinks that want to move in. I'll just tell you if you're listening. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, they find it funny. Homeless people in the subway don't mess with me. They like my outfits and my eyelashes. Some people think I'm a drag queen, she said, looking pleased. Earlier this year, she was asked to be one of the hosts of a hospital-themed party at Disorder, a Saturday night dance that was held at Stage 48, a club in Hell's Kitchen. It was, it was Kayvon Zan's party, by the way. Listed on the invitation under patients as geriatric visco, she hammed it up in hair curlers and orthopedic shoes, hobbling on a walker as she announced, Make way for the old lady. 
Inside, she greeted people, danced around on the walker, and angled for free drinks. She's everything I wish my mother was, said Kayvon Zand. The party's promoter, who wore a black robe with a hoop collar and exaggerated Elvis hairdo. Does Miss Visco break the mold? She might break her hip if she doesn't watch out, he said laughing. Geraldine Winifred Visco was born in Boston to a jazz musician turned bricklaying father and an opera singer mother. Yeah, that's why I'm obsessed with music. I've been listening to music play in my house all day, every day. As a child and even as an adult, I had DJs as roommates. So, yes, I'm a music freak. Anyway, I've never fit in since first grade, she said. In the 1970s, she moved to New York City to become a movie star, ending up with small roles in Stardust Memories. That was by Woody Allen. So fine and even a pornographic film named Joy. Annoyed by the audition process, Miss Visco gave up acting and in the 1980s got a job at Columbia University to pay for her tuition there. She graduated, she graduated with a bachelor's degree in literature and writing and master's degrees in fiction and journalism. She was briefly married in 1993 to an artist she calls the poorest guy you could have ever met in the Hamptons. It wasn't until 2005 that she hit her stride as a clubby. For a time, she was even a freelance party reporter for the New York Press, which has folded since. I went out a lot, she said, and being on the scene, you became part of it. I might want to add that I used to go out to nightclubs back when I was a teenager in Boston. Um, I went to the nightclubs called The Other Side, where Nan Golden used to be. She was a friend of mine. And back then, I was 16, and I would go to clubs because you didn't need to have car. They didn't card you. Anyway, I was going out to the, The Other Side, which was a gay club back then with Bobby Bushnack. Anyway, the point is, when I moved to New York, I did go out to the clubs like Mud Club. I went out to um, Danceteria. Love that. I went to um, all kinds of other parties, Studio 54, etc. But I would not say that I was a club kid as much as I am now. I started becoming a major club kid in my 50s. So those of you who are listening who are over 40 and say you're too tired to go out, it's because you're too lazy. What you need to do is exercise for one to two hours every single day. I started becoming a major club kid when I was 50, and I still am. I work full time, and I host parties, and I DJ, and I do all kinds of stuff until 4 or 5 in the morning, and then I go to job the next day. Of course, I don't go in at 9, but maybe 11 or 12. But I'm not tired, and I'm never tired because I like to party. It is Friday, so look, if you're over 40 and you say you can't go out, it's because you're, you're boring and you're not enjoying your life, so cut the crap. Stop whining, okay? Get up and shake your ass right now. I want you to dance. Anyway, I'm going to say, her style and spirit have attracted bevies of young gay men. I like hanging out with younger people, she said. Once I hit 50, I decided, who cares? I don't care about my age. Four years ago, she became a promoter at My Chiffon is Wet, a weekly party at Eastern Block, a rowdy gay bar in the East Village. She made 50 bucks a week to draw customers and set the tone by carousing until 4 a.m., Asked how she stays up so late and still reports to the office at 11 every morning, she said, I'm hypomanic, so I don't need a lot of sleep. In journalism school, my motto was, and it wasn't just my motto, it was actually the school's motto, you can sleep when you're dead. I like to dance. She has other tips for those who use their day jobs as an excuse to keep from going out. If you exercise every day, you're almost never tired, she said. Her unorthodox schedule includes daily yoga and swimming sessions between working and dancing. And I cook dinner for myself every night, and I dance when I cook. So those of you who say that you don't have time to cook, you're liars and you're lazy. 
back to the article, and this is the end. Still, she plans to retire in September. I hate working on a computer all day. And will finish her memoirs and promote a documentary about her called Visco Disco. So go to all you people listening, go to viscodisco.com. Patrick Smith is doing a documentary about me. I see, you will, it'll be coming out this fall, so you will like it. <clears throat> yes, there will be parties for the book and the movie. All right, now I'm going to play some other crazy songs, and I want all of you to have a great night and stop feeling sorry for yourself and get up and dance. This is Vincent Price. Michael Jackson is the thriller. Can you dig it? <laughs> Dirty Farms come back. One of my idols as a teenager was Valerie Solanas in Society for Cutting Up Men, The Manifesto, and I suggest you all read it. She does believe that men should be eliminated. I'm not sure if I agree with that, but I understand her point. But Dirty Farms, I want him to read a quote from Valerie Solanas, and I think it very much relates to him, you know? Um, By the way, that was, um, I just want to say that song I just played was the Nutty Squirrels, you know, Dubia. Anyway, here's Dirty Farms reading from Valerie Solanas. Go ahead, Dirty Farms. Okay. Um, Being an incomplete female, the male spends his life attempting to complete himself, become female. 
He attempts to do this by constantly seeking out, fraternizing with, and trying to live through and fuse with the female, and by claiming as his own all female characteristics. Emotional strength and independence, forcefulness, dynamism, decisiveness, coolness, objectivity, absurdiveness, courage, integrity, vitality, intensity, depth of character, grooviness, etc., and projecting onto women all male traits, vanity, frivolity, triviality, weakness, etc., it should be said, though, that the male has one glaring area of superiority over the female, public relations. He has done a brilliant job of convincing millions of women that men are women and women are men. The male claims that, wim- that females find fulfillment through motherhood and sexuality reflects what males think they'd find fulfilling if they were female. Women, in other words, don't have penis envy. Men have pussy envy. When the Yay! Male- <laughs> when yeah. The- uh, no, I don't know if I agree with that, but I understand. Keep going. When the male accepts his passivity, defines himself as a woman, males as well as females think men are women and women are men, and becomes a transvestite, he loses his desire to screw or to do anything else for that matter. He fulfills himself as a drag queen and gets his cock chopped off. He then derives a continuous, diffused sexual feeling from being a woman. Screwing is, for a man, a defense against his desire to be female. Sex is itself a sublimation. Very cool. But you know what? I wouldn't mind having a penis. I mean, why not? You know, although it is a kind of a pain in the ass because what if you can't keep it hard? That is the problem. That's why men are so annoying because they're so worried about that shit. I feel like the whole thing, the whole gender thing is bullshit. I feel like we should just have one gender and stop the crap. Who gives a fuck? Who cares what gender we are? I mean, yes, there's probably an attraction or something, but, you know, sometimes it's just a pain. Anyway... I am going to um, play another song, which I, you know, these are singers that I really love, like, you know, Alvin and the Chipmunks and X Miss Duck, you know, that kind of thing. Because I feel like, you know, sometimes people think that opera singers are good, but what's wrong with Alvin and the Chipmunks, for God's sakes?
Yeah, those were the wolves. I love wolves. You know why? I used to have a husky. Anyway, I'm going to do my song now. It's called They're Coming to Take Me Away, which is a cover of a famous old song from the old days. And I did it with the fabulous Tyler Stone. So they're coming to take me away because I'm fucking bipolar and crazy. So happy, happy Thursday. No, it's Friday. Sorry. Made a mistake. It's um, Radio Free Brooklyn, Jerry Visco, Visco Disco, The Stupid Show. All right? Yeah, yes, you see, yeah, you made me, but the coming to 